Support for WPR comes from the Dram Corporation, manufacturing professional-grade lawn and garden products since 1941, inventors of the 400 water breaker nozzle and the rain wand, DRAMM.com. Support for WPR comes from the Wisconsin Wetlands Association. Celebrating American Wetlands Month and the clean water, resilient communities, and wildlife habitat made possible by wetlands. WisconsinWetlands.org. Welcome to another edition of Garden Talk. Hi, Larry Mueller here. Great to have you with us as we talk about transitioning your garden plants into winter with our guest, Laura Jell. Laura, Professor and Extension Specialist for Woody Ornamentals in the Department of Horticulture at UW-Madison. And I hope you'll join in with your questions about trees, shrubs, vines. Love to hear from you. You can reach us at 800-642-1234. That's 1-800-642-1234. Or you can send us an email to ideas at wpr.org, ideas at wpr.org. Dot org. Laura Joe, welcome. Great to have you back with us. Thanks, Larry. It's good to be on. Tell you what, I took a look at the temperatures across the state of Wisconsin for the weekend. And to me, uh, this time of the year, this is pretty good weather to be getting outside and, and doing some of those tasks that we ought to be thinking about as we go into winter. Yeah, it, it's a great time of year to get out, and it's not hot, but it's not freezing cold yet, and you can get a lot done in the yard in relatively uh, good weather. Yeah. So what are some of the tasks that we should be thinking about? Well, um, it's something that is near and dear to my heart is about recycling your leaf, um, your leaves that have fallen from your trees. I see a lot of people, including on my own street, that rake their leaves to the curb, and then the city comes by and picks them up. You know, I'm a, I call myself the lazy gardener. I just take the leaves that have fallen off the trees in my yard, and i got quite a few of them, and I just rake them right back into the beds um, and uh, kind of wet them down so they stay in place. That is free mulch, and that's what Mother Nature does in the woods. She recycles all of her leaves uh, naturally, and if you don't, you want to avoid the risk of the leaves blowing away, you can shred them up with your lawnmower. Um, or they now sell these uh, uh, leaf shredders. They're actually, it's like a reverse backpack blower. Uh, it's like a leaf blower, but it sucks instead of blows the leaves. And it chops them up into fine pieces into a bag. And then you just take that and dump it into your landscape beds. It's, it's wonderful organic matter to add to the soil and help the plants. Boy, that sounds great. I was not aware of that. Yeah, yeah, I saw one. My neighbor was using one. I go, oh, I got to get one of those. <laughs> um, I thought it was a great idea because it, it is. It's free mulch. Yeah. Are they expensive, by the way? Yeah. Well, I went to uh, one of the big box stores, and there was a gas-powered one, which I, I prefer to have a battery-powered one if I can find one. Um, and they were about, I think it was about close to 200 so, yeah, they're they're not cheap, but I'm sure there's cheaper ones around. Well, and if you think about it over, you know, you know, you got to amortize that over probably the next 10 or 20 years, then it doesn't sound so much. Yeah, really. <laughs> so uh, the the mulch is one thing. What, what else should we be thinking about? 
Well, um, you know, making sure that the ground is insulated in winter. If you want to add some more bark mulch or wood chip mulch to your landscape beds, that's just a good time to do it. Um, insulate those perennials and, and shrubs. Uh, make sure to keep the mulch away from the trunk of trees. We shouldn't be creating these what I call mulch volcanoes. It's a term a lot of people use. Uh, they look ridiculous, and it's actually causing more harm than good to trees. Uh, you don't want any of that mulch touching the trunk of trees. You want to keep it out uh, a good four inches or so um, away from the trunk of the tree. Same with shrubs. You don't want to pile the mulch um, on the crown of the plant. You want to put it underneath the shrub, but you don't want to be adding excessive mulch at the base of the plant because, you know, that's a really nice home for various uh, critters like voles and mice and other things that can chew on uh, the plants during winter and girdle the stems. David in Sussex has a question for you. Let's go there. Hi, David. Hi. Um, We have a new planting we put in this spring, hydrangeas, pyrrhea, some ewes, um, junipers, um, and we're wondering, when do we cut them back? Do we cut them back in the fall or the dead of winter, or do we trim them back in the spring before the new growth? Well, that, that's a good question. It depends on what type of uh, hydrangeas you have. Um, I usually wait until spring myself, um, and then I cut certain, spi- uh, certain hydrangeas back, like the big leaf hydrangea or hydrangea macrophylla, or the um, uh, Annabelle types, those you can cut back. And, you know, a lot of people leave the flowers up in winter uh, for show, and then they cut them back in the spring. Um, now, if you have something like one of the limelight hydrangeas or the panicle hydrangeas, and there's lots of different cultivars out there, you don't want to be pruning those back uh, to the ground. In fact, you would kill it. Uh, those types, you can prune it back to larger branches, for those uh, like Limelight and Pinky Winky and some of the other ones that are out, don't need to cut it all the way back. In fact, you shouldn't. Uh, with spireas, uh, it depends on how your spirea looks. I know with the Japanese spireas and some of the other spireas, they tend to get kind of tall and leggy over time. And you can give them a good haircut. Again, early spring, late winter, early spring is one of the best times to prune many of those plants. You don't need to cut them back now. Um, you can if you want, but I, I usually like to wait until it's been through the winter and um, those carbohydrates are in the plant uh, root system fully. Um, use, you don't want to be cutting back. Um, if you have to prune use, you would do it after the first growth flush in uh, probably about mid to late spring, and then you kind of give it a, a light clipping, but you never want to prune those back hard and to the ground. There you go, David. Thank you so much uh, for for calling. Uh, did that help, by the way? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, that answered a lot of questions. It sounds like we uh, mainly want to do the work in uh, late winter, early spring, light prunings on, on everything, and, and probably don't touch the use at all in the first year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I have uh, uh, several extension uh, publications on pruning shrubs, trees, and uh, evergreens, their fact sheets, and they're on the Wisconsin urban forestry uh, website. Um, actually, that's UW Extension, sorry, uh, website, and it's on the, the urban horticulture part of the uh, Wisconsin Horticulture uh, Extension website. So if you just Google uh, University of Wisconsin Extension Horticulture, um, I wish I had the address in front of me, but it's uh, the 
it's ex- definitely extension. It's not the Department of Horticulture. It's extension. All right, David, thank you very much for calling. We can probably find that and put, put it up on our... Yeah, I should have wrote that down. I can't think of it off the top of my head. We'll put it up on our uh, Larry Mueller show page uh, under today's date under comments. So we'll we'll uh, we'll find that for you, David. Thank you so much for calling. Appreciate it. You can join in too. Number to call eight hundred six four two one two three four one eight hundred six four two one two three four, or you could email us the email address. Ideas at WPR.org. Ideas at WPR.org. I looked at uh, sort of the long-range weather, and it looks like we got another, at least another week of of warm temperatures. But I'm wondering about plantings. Would you do any planting of trees, shrubs, or perennials? Uh, Not perennials. I think it's a little too late for perennials, only because of frost heave. Um, meaning when the ground freezes and thaws, it might heave your uh, perennial out of the ground. Yes, you can mulch it, but I, I, I have that same dilemma, Larry. I've got a bunch of perennials I didn't get planted, <laughs> and so they're sitting in my garage for winter. I've done that before. Um, it's I would wait on the perennials until spring. I mean, you can do some, but it's, it's risky that they may not have um, – you know, they're going to have some root growth when the ground is not frozen. But once that ground freezes, uh, root growth uh, pretty much slows down. When it comes to deciduous material, like deciduous trees and shrubs, plants that lose their leaves every uh, fall, um, we're getting really close to the end of planting season. I did see some trees around town that were put in by the city. And, you know, they're deciduous. As long as they're watered, fall is a great time to plant. Um, it's getting a little late uh, in the season. Uh, definitely, I would not tempt evergreens, only because evergreens, they have their foliage on all year throughout winter, and they won't have an established root system, and the ground will freeze, and the foliage will be very susceptible to winter burn or drying out of the foliage. Yeah, that's very good tips there. Uh, Cassie in Winchester, we'll give you a chance. Hi, thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Hi, um, I have, um, I believe it's forsythia. It's the one that is so pretty and yellow in the spring, gets flowers before mm-hmm. it gets mm-hmm. green. And I have never had, I bet I've had it for 15 years. It had a few little flowers one year, and then it got real leggy and real tall, which I know yep. it's not supposed to. So, and at one time I, pruned it, and then it had no flowers at all for a while. I, I really have had trouble with it. Okay. Well, there's a couple things that could be going on with forsythias. First of all, they need full sun. They will not flower in shade. Second of all, you probably have one of the uh, border forsythias, and those get really big. Uh, they can easily get eight uh, feet or more in height and 15 foot in spread. They become these behemoths in the landscape. And they could really use a haircut um, in early spring, late winter, early spring. April is a good time before the uh, the plant has leafed out. The only thing is, is if you are cutting it at that time of year, you are removing some of the flower buds. But for a very overgrown, non-flowering type, that may, may help. And again, that publication uh, that I did on pruning shrubs, uh, you would be doing what's called renewal pruning, removing a third of the largest diameter branches back to the base of the plant to open it up, get better airflow, 
Um, there's also another type of pruning, and for scythias, you can get away with doing what's called rejuvenation pruning, and that's where you're taking the entire plant down to the ground, leaving about three to four inches of stem tissue behind so that there's buds there and it can sprout in the spring. You don't do that with most shrubs, but for forsythias, most forsythias, you can get away with it. Um, the other thing is a lot of forsythias are sold. Unfortunately, there's rated zone four hardy, and that's for the vegetative buds or uh, leaf buds. Uh, unfortunately, the flower buds are less cold hardy, and a lot of times they're killed during winter, and so we don't see the flowers no matter what we do. And so selecting, you know, one of the best cultivars um, is called Sunrise, uh, though it's really very rarely available. Uh, for smaller, there's a cultivar called Happy Centennial that only gets about four feet tall. That's, that's reliably flower bud hardy. Again, really hard to find that one now. It used to be popular. And then, of course, Meadowlark or Northern Sun, Northern Gold, those are the big ones, and those are reliably flower bud hardy. Um, with forsythias, you know, it's it's really too bad that some of the newer selections that are out on the market um, in Zone 4 are not reliably flower bud hardy. That is uh, too bad, but all good uh, advice there, uh, Laura. Cassie, thank you so much for calling. Appreciate it. Uh, Richard and Boscobel, we'll give you a chance. Yes, uh, we've planted uh, about 20 pine trees, less than two foot tall, in uh, heavy clay soil, and we've been just watering them. What's the best way to winterize them in for this year? When did they, when, what kind of pines and when did they go in? Uh, I'm not sure what kind of pines they are. Uh, just, uh, they were in about a month ago. Okay. Yeah, it's it's getting, uh, you know, I'm not sure what pine it is, but say if it's white pine or red pine, yeah, you're going to have to keep watering them until the ground freezes. Um, how much watering are you doing? Uh, a couple times a week, about okay. five gallons each tree. Okay. That, um, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, it does. Um, you just make sure the water isn't puddling on top of the soil for extended periods of time. Uh, heavy clay soils, white pines don't like that. Is it a really soft needled pine? Uh, no, it's a hard needle. Okay, okay, it's not white pine then. It's probably either Austrian, Scots, or um, red pine. Um, and those can, uh, well, not red pine, but Austrian and Scots pine can tolerate heavier soils better than red pine, but they have a lot of disease issues uh, with Austrian and Scots pine and insect issues. Yeah, I would just keep monitoring it until the ground freezes and then you can stop, but there's a lot of root growth that occurs during winter time. If the soil temperatures are above freezing, uh, we get a lot of root growth. Yeah. So just monitor it. Do you do anything else with it, mulching or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, I would add mulch around the base of the plants, not touching the trunk of the tree, and no more than three to four inches. Richard, there you go. Thank you so much for calling. Appreciate your call. Laura Jull, our guest today, professor and extension specialist for woody ornamentals in the Department of Horticulture at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Trino Lasus is our engineer today. Jill Nadeau, our producer. I'm Larry Mueller for Garden Talk on the Ideas Network.
Thanks for joining us today on the Ideas Network. Larry Miller here with Extension Professor in Horticulture, Laura Jull. Great to have her with us. And join in with your questions or comments. Numbers 800-642-1234. Email to ideas at wpr.org. Wendy in Deer Country in Mercer is next. Wendy, what's on your mind? Well, I have the $64,000 question, what can I plant that the deer won't eat? I had um, a little small woods border between our house and the next house, and there's now no privacy because they've even eaten all the balsams, um, plus the other things in my flower garden, you name it, and except for ferns, I think they have eaten everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's a problem. Um, I do have a publication on the UW Extension Learning Store um, on plants that uh, deer don't like, uh, plants not favored by deer. And that is a publication I did a number of years ago. Uh, it lists species that have known that deer leave alone. However, if deer are hungry enough, they'll eat anything, just to let you know. Um, I do know with bulbs, they leave daffodils alone, and they leave uh, uh, some of the other bulbs alone, too. Like, I think it's hyacinths. Uh, of course, alliums. They do not like the flowering alliums, which are the flowering onions. Um, they don't like those at all. And there's some beautiful purple ones uh, out there. In terms of trees, in particular evergreens, they don't like junipers that much. Um, though, again, if they're hungry enough, they'll eat anything. But uh, they don't like prickly things. Um, and some of the junipers, not all of them, but some of them can be kind of prickly to them. But, yeah, there, there's so many plants that they do they can eat. Um, shrub-wise, they tend to leave um, Korean spice viburnums alone, though I'm sure somebody online will probably say, oh, they ate mine. You know, it, it really depends um, on how bad the year is for deer and if they'll eat the plants that uh, – that you want, but take a look at that list. I have a whole list of plants on that publication. And again, it's at the uh, UW Extension Learning Store, correct? Yes. Yeah. All, all right, Wendy. Good luck. Probably the best. Uh, <laughs> the only secure uh, way, I think, is a good sturdy fence. Yeah. <laughs> well, the and whole they can property. Jump yeah, that they can't jump. <laughs> oh yeah. my goodness. Well, uh, if anybody else said, I don't think, I don't, I don't have any other solutions other than what we've mentioned here, what you've mentioned here, uh, Laura, unfortunately. Chris in Columbus, though, has something. Let's go there. Hi, Chris. Oh, yeah. Any of your uh, listeners that have deer uh, predation problems can call me. I need meat in my freezer. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes hard to do, though, if it's in the middle of the city. It is. It is. Anyway, I have planted a number of uh, swamp white oaks uh, about five, seven years ago um, and uh, in a program where uh, one of the volunteer clubs I'm a member of um, helps the city, you know, with uh, oak trees and Mm -hmm. So they're now two or three inches in diameter. Some of them are eight, ten feet tall. So they're about the size that we were paying, you know, four hundred dollars 
uh, to a, our uh, uh, nursery for, but we grew them ourselves, so we save money. But how? What's the technique to properly transplant them so that they survive? Oh, they're not in the ground where you want them currently. No, they're not. No. Okay, so you're transplanting them from one location to the next. Yes. I would do that in. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. You can dig them in early spring before they leaf out. Once they start leafing out, do not move them until the leaves are fully expanded. And I would probably wait, um, you know, several months for that. Make sure that uh, the leaves are fully expanded. Um, but, yeah, early spring before it leaves out is a good time to move them. Those uh, swamp white oaks are beautiful trees. Yeah, they're I very love- nice. Yeah, and you you probably you need the right equipment for it too. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah you want to uh, make sure to dig. Uh, I don't know if you're uh, what the soil type is, but you want to dig a large enough root ball that you try to capture a lot of the roots. And a lot of the roots are going to be uh, missed when you dig it. But uh, digging by hand or by machine, either way, it's more wider than deep. You want to get as wide of a, a root area as possible. Think pancake, not carrot. Um, you want to go down several feet, obviously, but you want to make sure you get those those uh, main structural roots coming off the base of the tree uh, where the root system starts. And there, are, there is actual digging guides of size, caliber, and how big the root ball should be. And it's on uh, the Internet. Um, it's under American Standards for nursery stock american standards for nursery stock and they go in so much detail on okay you have a one inch caliper tree this is how big your root ball should be and so on chris good luck and thank you very much uh, for calling appreciate it adam in sheboygan emailed looking for recommendations for native woody shrubs to plant he's been uprooting barberry and invasive honeysuckle from the woods around his house. What should he plant to replace them? He lives near Lake Michigan. Okay. So thank you for taking care of getting rid of the barberry. And and by the way, you know, Japanese barberry, I know it's a top-selling landscape plant, but it's really invasive. Uh, the birds eat the fruit. They fly away. They, you know, deposit the seed, um, and up comes a new shrub. If you don't believe me, go to the Wisconsin Dells, and the woods there are just covered in Japanese barberry. It's it's just so nasty. Uh, same with the uh, honeysuckle. Now, the honeysuckles that are invasive are the Tartarian honeysuckle, the Bell honeysuckle, Moreau's honeysuckle. Those really aren't offered much anymore. In fact, they shouldn't be. They're banned now from sale and distribution. Um, but what you could you plant instead? Now, I imagine it's shady, and the stuff that I'm thinking off the top of my head requires full sun. Uh, shrubs for full sun, I, I'm a big fan of the Hypericum or the St. John's wort. Uh, our native calms St. John's wort, really drought-tolerant plant, and not only that, it is a pollinator magnet, and it's definitely one that I would use uh, in full sun. Uh, Dervilla lanistra, or the shrub bush honeysuckle, it's not a honeysuckle. It just has that common name, but it's Dervilla lanistra, or the shrub bush, the, the dwarf shrub bush honeysuckle. 
is a native plant that can tolerate shade as well as sun. And it's, uh, it does a little bit better with some uh, morning sun, at least, uh, to fill in. Uh, other shrubs you can put in the woods. Um, well, I assume this is in the woods. I'm not quite sure. He didn't really say if it was in the woods or not in the woods. I think but he was. I think it was in the woods. Okay. There is a lot of wonderful uh, herbaceous perennials that you can that are native that you can put back into the woods. And one thing you'll notice after you removed a lot of that buckthorn and honeysuckle and barberry, is a lot of the spring ephemerals will come back because they've been laying dormant in the soil because they're being shaded by all these invasive plants. And um, I've seen woods just transformed into wonderful, um, beautiful carpets of flowers in early spring. Of course, ferns do very well in the shade. Um, uh, some, you know, I used to always recommend some of the native viburnums, but um, now we're seeing this new insect called viburnum leaf beetle that is just wreaking havoc on our native downy um, arrowwood, which is viburnum ref. And that is being eaten alive by this new insect. And that's really unfortunate because that's a nice plant. Um, come on, Laura, I'm thinking off the top of my head. Well, Native you, and shade. You've given us quite a view. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and if any come, uh, more come to mind, just pop them in there yeah. as, as we move along. Yeah. That, that's a really good list you've given. Mark and okay. Eau Claire, we'll give you a chance. Hi, Mark. Good morning. I'm a deer hunter, and I'm hunting up in northern Minnesota in big woods. Uh, We want to plant some trees that will be deer food and will attract deer, crab apples or things like that. But we're concerned about protecting them during the winter from the same deer. Do you have any thoughts that you can give me on that? Or if it's okay. not crab apple, something else. Okay. I, my question is, why are you trying to attract deer? I hear the exact well, opposite. Well, he's a deer hunter. And and well, Mark, hunter, there's, there's not many deer in the area of the property that we hunt. And where is in what part of Minnesota? Do you know the growing area, or at least the you know mileage uh, north or south of Minneapolis? Duluth, near Duluth. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, well, you know, <laughs> this is funny because I always get asked the exact opposite <laughs> question. <laughs> But uh, if you deer love arborvitae, that is one of their very favorite snacks. It's known as arborvitae or northern white cedar. Uh, it's a Thuya occidentalis species. Uh, it's native. And that, I mean, it's like ringing the dinner bell. They come for that. They love ewes as well uh, or taxes. Uh, and that they love. Um, uh, of course, sumacs they like. And, uh, of course, crab apples and Oh, I just think in all the plants at the Arboretum here in Madison that uh, they just devour, and those are the top ones. And those are ones that would certainly grow in the uh, oh, yes. in that oh, area, yeah. that far mm-hmm. north area of the state. So that yeah, those are really good ones to start with, Mark. Uh, I hope you have some luck there. Thank you very much uh, for calling. Uh, let's go to Linda in Lacrosse. 
next. Hi, Linda. Hi. Glad to talk to you. And I have a question about my ginkgo tree. It looks like it needs pruning now. And I don't know exactly what kind of shape I want to aim for or how, you know, how vigorously to prune it. Mm-hmm. Is this a already established large tree? No, no. It's We've had it in about two or three years now, so I'd say it's like mm-hmm. maybe it's 15, 12 feet tall, something like that. Okay. Well, um, this is not the time of year to do it. I would wait until probably late winter, early spring. Um the ginkgos don't need much pruning at all. Um, they grow into big trees. Hopefully you have a male selection that does not produce that stinky, foul-smelling fruit that the female ginkgo trees do. Um, do, you have, do you know what the selection is or the cultivar? No, I don't. I don't, but okay, I do okay. know that it's a male. It's not okay, good, good, good. Yeah, ginkgos don't grow super fast. Um, and they don't need much pruning. The only thing I would do, since it's already established and is in the ground, is if you see any crossing or rubbing branches, or uh, if you have a double leader, meaning two terminal leaders, you only want one. Um, other than that, they don't need much pruning until you know years later. It's it's pretty low maintenance tree. Um, make sure everyone out there listening, you get a male cultivar <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So uh, thank you, Linda, for calling. Appreciate your call. You can join in, too, as we talk, uh, well, all kinds of things here relating to woody ornamentals uh, and wintertime, but we can hit into some other areas as well with our guest, Laura Jell, Professor and Extension Specialist for Woody Ornamentals uh, in the Department of Horticulture at UW-Madison. Um, Ruth in Chippewa Falls called to say she keeps deer away by spraying deer repellent. She mm-hmm. says spray well and spray often. Yeah, that's the key is every time it snows or rains, it washes it off the foliage. Um, you know, you can try, well, I have two dogs and the deer look at my dogs like, yeah, you know, no big deal. The dogs go crazy, but Sometimes they scare them away. That's another way of keeping deer out of your yard, fencing, like Larry mentioned. Um, and it, something we did up at the Spooner Agriculture Research Station is they installed two fences. And you might say, oh, my God, two fences, so expensive. No, one was an electric fence, and the other was a shorter fence. And they were put uh, several feet apart, and it gave the illusion, um, you know, with two fences, and they were no more than six feet tall, uh, and again, one was electric fence and the other was not. And the deer come up to that electric fence and they don't come in. That's the first, that's the first fence they hit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how good. And there are, I think there are ways, to, uh, there are kind of solar battery type things that can be uh, yep. established. Yep. Am I right? Yeah, I've I've heard of that too. So I think that is that has been that has really worked well in a number of situations. So yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. Tim and Kenosha, your turn. Hi, Tim. Yeah. Good morning. Uh, I have a question about uh, Deborah maples. First of all, and just a curious observation. This year, it seemed like half the leaves. I thought at the time that they were all turning yellow. 
when the leaves, when the yellow leaves dropped, it, it appeared to have left half of the leaves still green on the trees. And, uh, and now they're turning yellow and starting to drop. Is that unusual or it seems unusual this year? Is that just a normal behavior okay. of the fall? What, I, I missed what kind of maple this was. Uh, Deborah maples. Okay. Deborah is a cultivar of Norway maple. And when were the leaves dropping naturally this fall? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where half the tree dropped its leaves and the other didn't? Right. Okay. Yeah, sometimes that happens. Um, Yeah. You know, it's just uh, something that it – was it just this year that it did and it never has done that? It seems as though this is a new behavior. New thing. Could be weather-related. Yeah, it could be weather. I was just about to say it could be weather related. Um, you know, one thing about Norway maples, as, as many other trees too, they're often unfortunately planted too deep with their root flare not existent at the soil line and the trees growing into the ground like a telephone pole. If that foliage was falling off in the summertime, then I would uh, probably say it was, you might have some girdling roots underneath the ground, but since it's in the fall, I think it's it's probably more temperature related. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a another good point. Uh, Tim, thank you very much uh, for calling. Appreciate your call. Well, let's see. Let Jeremy and Racine, we'll go to you. Hi, Jeremy. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I have a, I believe it's a crab apple tree uh, ornamental one. It's got those small berries that fall in the fall all the time, and. I had a city tree have a, a shoot that went towards that tree, a much larger um, city tree, and I had the city cut it. But what happened was that the tree kind of like grew up and then around that main branch that was coming at it, and it kind of looks like it's got a comb over. So it's all <laughs> like when you look straight at it, it's, it's all waved. All the branches are going to the right. It's kind of goofy, but there's really very little canopy in the front of the tree. And I'm wondering if there is a way that I could stress train it to see if I can bring a more fuller canopy in the front as well and maybe get some yeah. of that land out. Well, it's hard to say without seeing the tree, point blank. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, the, with, uh, with hiring an arborist to come look at your tree and, and do pruning. Um, yeah, I, I haven't gotten that far yet. Um that's like my last step I was going to look at. I thought maybe I'll, I was just going to throw a ratchet strap, maybe put a stake in the ground and start doing a slight no. stretch. Yeah, <laughs> I, I <wasn't> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't suggest that. I mean, it's it's actually directing growth to where you want it, and that's through selective pruning and training. And to be honest, I would leave that up to the professionals. Uh, no offense. It's just, you know, I've seen some things done to trees that did the exact opposite and actually hurt the tree. Um, the Wisconsin Arborist Association is a wonderful organization, and they have on their website a certified arborist for hire. And I don't get any money from promoting them. I promote them because they have to go through testing um, and as well as experience, and they know what they're doing. And you can find their website at www.waa hyphen I S is in Sam A dot O R 
G. Again, that's W-A-A hyphen I-S-A dot O-R-G. And you can scroll down to where it says Certified Arborist for Hire, and you can search various arborists by the county you live in and, you know, call them up, um, you know, have them look at your trees and prune your trees for you. I mean, it's, it's money well spent, and that way they can, you know, look at your whole tree and see if there's any other problems that you might be having. But, um, and yeah, you're certainly, and you're sure going to find certified arborists in Racine area. Oh, my, there's tons, tons. Yeah. Yep. Good luck with that, Jeremy, and thank you so much uh, for calling. Appreciate your call. Uh, Lee and Green Bay will give you a chance. Hi, Lee. Yes, thank you. I have a, a ginkgo also that's been in five, six years in the ground. When I planted it, it was pretty straight, but it did have a crooked trunk. Now it's leaning. You know, it's about three inches in diameter, approximately. The best way to straighten that out, using like, you know, thin cable, thicker wire. What's the best way to handle that? I want to straighten yeah. them out again. Yeah. So the whole tree is leaning? Yeah, the trunk was, as I said, was kind of crooked, but I thought, you know, when I did plant it, it kind of, you know, I had to kind of guesstimate what looks the best with being straight, but now it seems to be leaning more. Yeah. Is that a windy exposed site? Not really. I've got a lot of large trees around. Yeah. Um, The problem is, you know, in order to effectively straighten it out, you're going to have to dig up the whole tree and, you're going to be cutting roots. Uh, you might do more damage than what's needed. And, you know, using wire is a bad thing. Never put wire around the trunk of a tree. It'll girdle it. Um, you know, without seeing the tree, you could try staking it and pulling it to the side, you know, the side that where you want it to go to. But stakes are only meant to be on the tree for no more than a year, and they have to come off. And the material that goes around the actual trunk needs to be loose, uh, a flexible material, like, you know what, a seatbelt material. They do sell that in rolls, and that's what should go around the trunk. Uh, You should never use any type of rope or wire because the trunk tissue can actually become embedded in it. Um, Again, without seeing the picture or, you know, again, a certified arborist can can be called out and – and maybe have a look at it. Um, but, yeah, you, you can do a lot of damage by by doing what you were mentioning. It, <laughs> yes. it really depends. Lee, good luck. Maybe uh, get yourself uh, onto a certified uh, arborist and uh, have them take a look at it, too. Appreciate yeah. it. Laura Joe, our guest today from the uh from uh she's an extension specialist for woody ornamentals residing in the department of horticulture at uw madison i'm larry Mueller for garden talk on the ideas network you're listening to garden talk on the ideas network larry Mueller here as we look at our plantings as we go into the well Fall and winter season with our guest today, Laura Jow, professor and extension specialist for Woody Ornamentals in the Department of Horticulture at UW-Madison. Give a call. The number is 800-642-1234, or you can email to ideas at wpr.org. 
Roger in Grantsburg. We'll go to you now. Hi, Roger. Hi, Larry. How are you doing today? Well, doing just fine. What's on your mind? Well, <laughs> boy, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got had this fall. I had just some beautiful, beautiful red maples back in the woods, uh, and and I I live in kind of a treeless yard. I think I have six trees. Oh. Uh-huh. And I was wondering how successful it is to have, if I had somebody come in with a spade and dig up them, some of them trees, are, they're probably 20 feet tall. 20 now, feet? How oh. successful they are at moving them with a tree, like the big tree movers. Yeah, that's too big. That's too big to move. And not only that, trees growing in the forest have a very different root system than in, a, say, a nursery. Um you you probably would have tremendous losses. Twenty feet tall already. That that's just too darn big to move, and the roots will be very wide and spread out. And you're better off just getting a smaller red maple tree and planting it yourself in your yard, um, because if you try to move one of those big guys out in the forest, you're gonna really do a lot of damage. And I I don't recommend it at all. Oh, all right, there you go, Roger. Thanks for calling. Uh, we have a couple of emails to mention here, one from um, Kate. Uh, she emailed to ask if you run your mower or shredder over your leaves, aren't you killing the moths and bumblebees and firefly larvae and everything that uh, are in the, those uh, areas wintering over? She thought leaving leaves in situ, uh, situ uh, to give those critters cover was the whole point of leaving them on your yard. She is correct. However, uh, people that have uh, lawns, and it, the best thing to do is rake them into your beds and not do anything. You're totally right. However, if you have lots of leaves on your grass and you don't have landscape beds, it's better to, you know, return the, the carbon, um, you know, the organic matter to the grass and not lay, not super sick. You know, you don't want to shade the grass, but it breaks down very quickly. Um, I know there's is a problem with doing anything. You know, it hurts the pollinators or it could hurt, you know, the lawn. Or I just don't like seeing all these leaves at the curb. Um, it's just ridiculous. It's free mulch. Yeah. So she's correct. You know, put them in, like I did. I just raked all my leaves in my landscape bed and left them. And uh, for lawns, if you, uh, I sort of on the positive side with lawns, uh, if you run a shredder over the lawn to get those leaves shredded, that's the equivalent of a a fertilizing, a one fertilizer application, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. My former grad student, during his master's work, he said you can return about half a pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet by returning the... uh, the, the leaves into, you know, mowing uh, those leaves in, on the grass. And now in terms of pollinators, not a lot of pollinators are overwintering on the turf grass anyways. Mike in Sun Prairie, thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Hey, I have, um, I have a red maple and a silver maple in my yard that uh, last year for the first time I tapped and made maple syrup. So just looking for advice on anything I should be doing or not doing to make sure I'm protecting the health of those trees? Mm-hmm. Well, I've never had maple syrup made out of red or silver maple. It's usually sugar maple that's used. And you, first of all, you want to make sure the trees are mature. Uh, you should not do this on trees that are less than 20 years old. Um, you should also 
uh, only do it in uh, the springtime, early spring when the sap is flowing, like late winter, early spring. Uh, Don't do it now because the carbohydrates that the tree produced are going down the tree and should be stored into the root system. So you don't want to compete or rob the tree from those carbohydrates uh, that it needs to leaf out next spring. So, um, yeah, you know, watering, of course, don't over-fertilize. You don't want to be dumping a lot of fertilizer on trees. Only fertilize based on a soil test. And most of the time, the only thing that is needed is nitrogen. Um, And slow-release nitrogen is what I would use. At least half of the fertilizer you would use should be slow-release fertilizer. You shouldn't be, you know, using uh, very quick-release fertilizer on trees. Um, That's a whole other talk in itself. (laughs) Mike, there you go. Thank you for calling. Lane in Eau Claire, what's on your mind? Hi. I recently ordered some bare root uh, wild cherry trees. They're coming in about four to five feet tall, I believe. And the place Mm -hmm. I ordered them from is in Michigan. And they told me I could just plant those here in a couple weeks just by slicing the ground. Uh, and putting them in, and then I talked to a friend, and they told me I should be putting, like, uh, a hole twice the size of it and putting in some extra loose soil and maybe even some tree spikes around it. I'm just curious uh, which end of those okay. spikes I should go. Great. Uh, so are these bare root trees? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no soil. Um, yeah, you do want to make the hole. It's not really a hole. It's a, I call it a planting area because these are bare root trees. You're going to need to spread those root out, roots out like spokes of a wheel. You want to make sure they're stretched out. You don't just dig a deep hole and put it in. Um, you need to spread those roots out so they're not going to grow around the trunk. Uh, I just use existing soil that's already there. You no need to amend it. Um, Unless it's, you know, really super bad soils, then you would need to amend the whole area. Uh, black cherries, just to forewarn you, have a lot of disease and insect problems. I know they're great pollinator plants, but they are so susceptible to black knot, which is a fungal disease that they get on the branches. Um, I would not fertilize at time of planting. Those spikes are a complete waste of money. They don't do well. Uh, they're not a good source of nutrients, meaning they'll just fertilize one certain area. Uh, they don't travel real far in the soil uh, solution. And uh, you never want to fertilize a tree at planting time because you're interested in putting on more roots and not more shoots. Uh, you don't want more shoots and leaves until those roots are there to support that growth. Uh, watering, essential. It's getting really late in the year to be planting. Um, you know, if you do plant these cherries, make sure you're adding mulch on top of the soil and watering. You might want to be working on getting that soil ready so that when they do arrive, you can get them into the ground pretty pretty quickly. Uh, For sure, See if you can get them ASAP. Yeah. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Uh, Lee in Green Bay emailed he got a pair of mostly dead blackberry plants on clearance from a big box store this summer. He wasn't sure, or since she wasn't sure they were going to survive, she planted them in five-gallon buckets, and they actually greened up, branched out, and even produced a few berries this fall. Can she mm-hmm. leave them in the buckets over winter, or should she plant them now, uh, In she's in Green Bay, uh, before okay. the ground freezes? 
if she leaves them in the buckets, where and how should she store them? Okay, two answers. I would try to get them in the ground now. Um, And again, mulching, watering, critical. If she can't get them in the ground, and I have done this a number of years, I have some um, marginally hardy woodies like butterfly bush, for example. I grow in a container. I overwinter the containers in my garage. I water them very thoroughly before I put them in my garage. And then I leave them in my garage all winter. And I do check them once a month for watering if they need it. A lot of times, you know, they'll freeze, the root ball freeze in an unheated garage. They're, they're fine. And they, uh, you know, leaf out again uh, the following spring. But I would try to get it in the ground. Yeah, if you if you can all do it. And if you put them in the garage, it's probably set them on a board or something so they're not in direct contact with the with the cement, with the concrete. Uh, um, you can. I don't do that, Larry, and I've never had a problem. And I have lots of pots in my garage right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've done this, but it's the wall facing the house. Ah. Um, so. Oh, it, it's it, an it attached. Gets, okay. Yes. I oh, yeah. Got it. it's, if it's not attached, yeah, then I would raise it above the ground. But um, my garage is attached, and it never gets below 25. Al in Oregon has several green giant arborvita. They're about two feet high now. He planted them five feet apart in hopes of creating quicker privacy. Now he's concerned they'll be too close. Uh, what transplanting yeah. options, um, timing and space, does he have available? Well, the green, you said green giant, Arborvitae? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those grow super fast. Um, and they will get much bigger than five feet apart. You might, you know, I hate saying this, but some people, they just leave them as is. And then as the trees start uh, getting too big, they take out one uh, of the shrubs in between. Or you can remove you know, the shrubs, I would plant them about eight to 10 feet apart, not five feet, but that's just me. Um, you could, uh, if you're going to transplant them, wait until spring, early spring before it gets warm. So um, late, late April, early May, you can move them, but don't move them now. They're <laughs> evergreen. They're not going to take before the ground freezes. No. And uh, I kind of like your other idea, too, about just letting them grow and decide what to do with them later. If yeah. You, if you don't want to if you don't want to take the chance next spring on replanting, that's not, that's not a bad idea either. Laura Jow is our guest today. She is a professor and extension specialist for Woody Ornamentals, uh, resides in the Department of Horticulture at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'm Larry Miller for Garden Talk on the Ideas Network of Wisconsin Public Radio.
You're listening to Garden Talk on the Ideas Network. Larry Mueller here with my guest, Laura Jell, professor and extension specialist for woody ornamentals in the Department of Horticulture at UW-Madison. So, questions. I hope you'll join in. Open lines get you on pretty quickly here with your questions about shrubs, trees, vines, whatever. Um, The number is 800-642-1234, or you could send an email to ideas at wpr.org, ideas at wpr.org. Love to hear from you. Um, What kinds of planting problems or plant problems, I should say, did you see a lot this past year, uh, Laura? Uh, the big one, drought stress. Uh, we had an exceptionally dry summer and spring, to be honest. We really did not get that much rain this spring. Um, and a lot of, you know, even established trees I saw uh, wilting. Things that normally you don't have to add supplemental water to, I saw wilting. And I hope this is not the sign of the times, but, you know, it may very well be with our our weather changes that are occurring more and more rapidly as time goes on. Um, make sure, you know, if we don't get any substantial water, you know, get out and water your garden. Um, I personally don't water my turf. I let that go dormant, and I take care of my trees and shrubs instead. Um, now, granted, it all depends on your soil type, how much watering to do, and, you know, the species. But, uh, you know, the old saying, one inch of water a week, uh, that's for established plants that have reliable rainfall at least once a week and we did not have that we went god months without any rain this summer and that was not good i uh i saw a map the one of the weather program the weather is part of a news program uh was just yesterday and we're still really dry even though there's been some moisture lately we're still very dry across the state I saw that on the news too, the the drought indicator, and yeah, there's still portions of Wisconsin, quite a bit, that are really below uh, normal. Amy in Greenfield has a question. Let's go there. Uh, Amy, hi. Thanks for calling. Hi, Larry. Hi, Laura. I first of all want to thank you for this idea. Last year, I bought two little blue spruce. Oh, I bet they're about three feet tall for inside Christmas trees. And then took the pots outside this summer. They've been in the ground in the pot. And I'm wondering, is it too late to plant them right now? Wow. Um, <laughs> hold a lot of points to make. Um, blue spruce is a Christmas tree. Ouch. Those are so prickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're pretty. I, I to, they're beautiful. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, you need, like, boxing gloves to decorate the <laughs> The tree, um, the blue spruce is so sharp. Um, and they're in pots. Uh, blue spruce, just to let every our viewers know, or listeners, I should say, know that uh, Colorado blue spruce, very disease-susceptible plant. I personally don't recommend planting. In fact, I'm looking at one right now, and it is lost about half of its needles due to the various pathogens, the uh, rhizosphera needle uh, cast, as well as uh, cytosper canker. Um, they're just, it's too humid in our climate to be growing blue spruce. They belong in Colorado and the dry mountain areas. 
Now, I probably upset growers with that. There are some dwarf cultivars of blue spruce. Uh, St. Mary's broom is one. Uh, some of the very dwarf little cultivars are, are better and more le- less susceptible to diseases. Now, in terms of uh, it in a pot in the ground, um, yeah, you can't leave it in the pot indefinitely. You're going to have to plant it. It's getting really late uh, to plant them right now, and I think you're going to run into some severe winter injury um, by, you know, winter burn if you plant them now. It depends. I'm not sure where you are in the state, but it, it's just it's getting late, and you would need to make sure you mulch them um, and water them, uh, and make sure that root system is well insulated. Um, you know, I if you've got an unheated garage or a you know screen-in porch or something where you can put them in, that's potential. But you don't want it exposed to 30 below temperatures if it's still in a pot. Yeah, yeah. Well, Amy's in Greenfield, so uh, okay. Uh, yeah, you can give it a you can give it a try, Amy, if you want. But you yeah. might, uh, you know, there's also well, maybe take a chance and and overwinter them in the garage too. Yeah. Uh, not long trees. Yeah. Here. <laughs> Catherine in Random Lake, uh, we go to you now. Hi, Catherine. Hope you're having a good afternoon. Um, I bought a wisteria tree, and I just passed this summer. It was its third year with me, and I've not gotten any blooms on it. And it seems to be a little more like a vine than a tree because it sends it out those. Yep. And I, you know, I keep trimming it back, and I don't know if I'm trimming off next year's flowers. Okay. Yeah, there's a. Do you know which type of wisteria it is? It it was sold as a wisteria tree. Okay. That's because all all um, I remember about it. Yeah, the ones that are trained to grow, it it is a vine. Wisterias are vines. They're not trees. And how what you bought is probably a vine that was trained to be like a tree, but you need to be pruning it all the time to keep it as a tree because it's going to want to be a vine. Um, second is a lot of those that are grown for that purpose are the Japanese or the uh, Chinese wisterias, and those are severely invasive and are illegal to have in the state of Wisconsin. They're on the Wisconsin DNR NR40 list of invasive species. Now, that's if it's the Chinese or Japanese uh, wisteria. If it is the Kentucky wisteria, um, which is a different species. That one is fine, and it's a really very nice landscape plant. Um, but getting it to flower, you're going to need to be pruning those side branches back every spring, so leaving behind about three nodes or three buds per stem. You know, the side shoots that come off the main shoot, you want to prune those back. And it, otherwise, it's just going to keep growing vegetatively. Avoid excessive fertilizer. In fact, you don't want to be adding lots of nitrogen because that promotes vegetative growth. Um, and also, if it is the Chinese or uh, Japanese wisterias, they may not, A, be cold-hardy enough, the flower buds. And again, if they are those two species, um, they are not legal in Wisconsin. Yeah. They're very invasive. Catherine, there you go. Thank you so much for calling. Vivian in Deerfield, Illinois, has a question. Hi, Vivian. Hi, how are you guys this morning? 
Thank you. Uh, I have a beautiful yellow rose that I bought this summer and kept it in a, in a big, big pot. It looks like, I don't remember what it is, but it's kind of got a long, long stems when the flowers grow. And I'd like to overwinter it, but I don't really have a heated garage. Is there something I could do outside with it? Well, you don't need a heated garage. I mean, like I mentioned, if, if it's in a container, you can put it in an unheated garage during the wintertime as long as, you know, if it's an attached garage and the temperatures don't go below 25. Um, I'm not sure which rose. Is it the Father Hugo rose? Does it bloom only once in May? No, it's actually been blooming all summer. I bought it in okay. uh, maybe June, yeah. Yeah, and roses, as 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 it is, they uh, you get a lot of winter dieback on them. As it is, do you have a, an attached unheated garage? I do. Yes. Put it in, water it really well before it goes into the garage. Keep it in the garage. Um, you know, put it against the wall of your actual house, and uh, just keep it there over winter. And you know, check it for moisture. And once that it, it freezes, and it will, um, just leave it. And then they're going to start to leaf out earlier than what they should, uh, well, and than what they do outdoors. So make sure. Sometimes I actually cover them to keep the buds from swelling too much on a warm uh, winter day. Um, you want to keep them dormant, and then eventually you slowly bring it outside with increasing temperatures. Yeah. There you go. Give it a shot, Vivian. Thank you very much for calling. Uh, Bradley in Whitewater, your turn. Hi, Bradley. Yeah, hi. I have a mock orange shrub that I just got this last spring, late summer. It's got beautiful white um, flowers on it. It's about two and a half, maybe three feet tall. I have it on my patio in a pot, and I'm planning on keeping it in a pot. And I didn't know if there's any special anything I should do for the winter. Should I cover it? Should I prune it? When should I prune it? I just don't know how to handle it. Okay. Um, Well, regarding keeping it in a pot, overwintering it, you're going to have to put it in some type of unheated garage or or attached porch that's closed in. You don't want uh, the roots to get really below 25 degrees. Uh, so an unheated garage that's attached to your house um, works great. I've done it many years in a row, and it works just fine. Um, in terms of pruning, don't prune it now because it's already set its flower buds for next spring. Uh, mock orange is mainly a one and done. You know, it sets flower buds and then flowers, and that's pretty much uh, the ornamental value. Uh, but they are spectacular, and they smell so darn good when they're in bloom. But uh, don't be fertilizing it now. Just, you know, water it really well and then put it in your garage. Uh, Do realize mock oranges get huge, and it really should be put in the ground next year. All right. Bradley, good luck. Appreciate the call. You can join in, too. Number to call, 800-642-1234. Email to ideas at wpr.org. Gary in Zacco uh, emailed that the large woody roots at the base of his pine tree are above ground and exposed. He'd like to kill the weeds at the base of this tree with Roundup and make room for Pachysandra. Will Roundup damage the pine tree? Yes. Yes. 
don't do that. <laughs> uh, the Roundup will be absorbed through the uh, the the roots uh, if they're exposed, and it can do a lot of damage to your pine tree. Uh, what I highly suggest is, you know, I hate saying this, I have to do it too, is hand pull the grass if you can. Or what some people do is they just put mulch, um, you know, cut the grass really, really low and underneath the tree. And, um, you know, you normally can use Roundup on something like that. But if those roots of uh, the tree are exposed and right next to that grass, don't be spraying those roots, please. It'll do more damage to your tree. And then add mulch underneath your tree. Um, and you said you wanted Paxandra. There's other ground covers that you can use for shade, uh, as well as our native uh, ground covers as well. But, um, yeah, I agree. Gra- grass underneath trees never should happen. <laughs> they, don't, they don't play well together. <laughs> okay. Scott in uh, Dundas? Scott? Yes. Yeah. Um, I... I'm looking at getting some choke cherry bushes from a nursery bare root. Just wondering, is it too late to put them in now, or should I wait till spring? Well, I, I hesitate in recommending choke cherries. This is choke cherry, not choke berry, right? Choke cherry, yeah. Correct. Choke cherry, yeah. It's a prunus species, and like the black cherry, uh, they are extremely, extremely susceptible to black knot, which is a disease that that you get these big, huge galls on the branches and it eventually kills it. Um, they're not long-lived species. It's not one I would recommend personally. Um, if you're, you know, set on getting them, uh, make sure you plant them in full sun um, with enough space in between the plants. It's really getting late to be planting, folks. Um, if you do plant, make sure you water and mulch the ground, avoid the mulch touching the trunks of, of the branches as well as the trunk. If you were, is there a sort of a, an alternative to the choke cherry? Yes, choke berry. Choke berry. <laughs> yes, and choke berry, uh, the black one, our native choke berry is Aronia species, and it is an excellent landscape plant. It has multi-season interest. It's got white flowers. It's got very good uh, orange to burgundy fall color, and it has black berries that are quite persistent through winter. Um, There's a number of selections. You can get dwarf selections all the way to the straight species, which can easily get, you know, 8, 10 feet in height. Uh, it's drought tolerant and uh, wet soil tolerant, and it attracts pollinators and birds. It's a great plant. All right, choke. Think chokeberry, maybe uh, yes. Scott. <laughs> Good the luck. Black, the black chokeberry. The black chokeberry. Dwayne in River Falls. Your turn. Hi, Dwayne. Hi. Hey. Thanks for taking my call. Um, we planted a Zone Four Minnesota cultivar red bud. And we're in the zone 4 to 4B area, just strict, mm-hmm. right, exactly 20 miles east of St. Paul. And okay. we actually got a double root, and each root had two stems. So we have four stems coming up. Okay. And I put a cage around there for the summer to keep the rabbits away. But now I'm wondering, do I need to wrap the trunks for winter oh. to keep the mice away? Yeah. No, do not be wrapping trunks at, ever. With that tree wrap stuff, it actually keeps the bark 
uh, humid underneath, and it can invite various insects and even disease pathogens. Um, what you would, if you want to really protect those trunks, use the tree guards. Um, they're typically white, like PVC pipes that go around the trunks of the trees at the bottom of the tree up to about, I don't know, three, four feet. Uh, make sure there's holes in it. You want good airflow in there. You're just trying to keep the deer and the rabbits from getting to the trunks of the trees. Do realize that at the base, mice can get in there. Um, that's one of the problems. Some people, you know, um, and I'm not an advocate of using any type of baits or poisons to keep rodents away. And the reason why is larger birds, animal, other non-target animals, including our pets, can eat those uh, rodenticides and it can kill them. Um, and birds of prey that feed on mice, you know, if the mice have ingested that product and are, you know, haven't died yet, that you're poisoning those birds of prey too. Would you uh, uh, mulch after the ground is frozen? Yes. Yes, I would. Yeah. And again, keep that mulch away from the trunk of the tree. Yeah, and, and wait till after the frost or until the ground is frozen so they, those little devils don't have a chance, a uh, nice yeah. place to live. Yeah. <laughs> no vacancy. <laughs> yeah, there you go, Dwayne. Thank you. Uh, Sharon in Manaqua, it's your turn. Hi, Sharon. Hi, thank you very much for taking my call. Um, it's kind of a peony and a deer question combined. Um, I had a number of peonies growing, and they were up against my house. Uh, they had flowered for many, many years, and then they stopped flowering. Uh, I had them mixed in with irises and a few other things. Um, all of a sudden, the uh, deer started eating the irises, and a friend of mine gave me a recipe for the pepper spray to put on mm -hmm. plants to prevent the deer from eating them. Uh, that only seems to make the deers want to eat the irises more. But I don't know if the pepper spray actually also impacted the peonies, which stopped blooming after that. Um, okay. And so, I, so I, I'm just trying to protect the peonies from the deer, sure. make sure that they also have enough warmth and sunlight, because that lives up in the right. northwest. Yeah, they, the peonies definitely need full sun. Are there any trees hanging over you know, blocking the sunlight at all? Uh, and it's just the house blocks the sunlight. You no, know, when the sun yeah. passes over the house. And yeah, I mean, peonies need to be in full sun all day long in order to have good flowering. Uh, deer have known to eat flower buds on peonies. Just to letting you know, um, you know, I maybe it's time to move your peonies into a sunnier part of your yard because they'll grow vegetatively, but they won't flower in shade. Unless it's a species known to, for shade. There are some rare species that can, but majority of the peonies you get, either herbaceous or tree peonies, they need full sun. Yeah. What would you put in place of it? Well, something that the deer aren't, aren't going to eat, and I recommend <laughs> looking at my publication. Uh, of course, uh, you know, I don't know if the perennials off the top of my head that are deer-resistant, but I know they leave ferns alone. But you probably want flowers, so take a look at that. And like I said, if deer are hungry enough, they'll eat anything. And we do have uh, we do have put up a link uh, to that site on the Larry Miller Show uh, page, 
So ideas at WPR.org slash Larry. Go there to today's date, and the, under the comments section, you'll find uh, that link. So there you go, Sharon. Uh, appreciate your call. Uh, oh, and the, the guy who wanted to attract deers, deer, Janet in Wapaka, called to recommend jewel weed <laughs> to the man who called looking for plants that deer like. Apparently, Janet has had some um, experience with that. Yeah, jewel weed actually is a great native plant. It spreads. It's kind of weedy, but it is native. But if you have get nipped by stinging nettle, the juice from the flowers of jewel weed, you squeeze the juice of the flower on the area of your skin that was exposed to stinging nettle that's burning, and it takes that sting away. It's amazing. <laughs> So another good reason to have some jewel weed around. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, Laura, this has been uh, great. I want to thank you so much. We've You've answered a lot of questions today on the show, and I, I, it was a really good show. Thank you so much. And we'll look thank forward you, Larry. to Yeah, we'll look forward to another visit. Thank you. Laura yeah, thank jo- you, and have a great weekend. You as well. Laura Jell is a professor and extension specialist for Woody Ornamentals in the Department of Horticulture at the UW-Madison. Great to have her with us. She answered a lot of questions today, and that's what we're here for. Well, as we take a look ahead, uh, Monday, tech expert Jesse LeGrew is back to talk about keeping older uh, cell phones secure and then uh, how location-sharing technology actually works. That's Monday, starting at 11 on the Ideas Network. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening, and please stay with us. Lots in store on the Ideas Network. I'm Larry Mueller. <laughs>